This is No Stop Lights with Ken Ard. I want to thank our sponsors, Mickey Fins, Marlboro PD Electric, Carolina Bank, Pepsi of Florence. None of this nonsense would be possible if not with the support of those sponsors. So thank you, thank you, thank you. There's a lot of forks in the road. I mean, there's a lot of political persuasions that Jeff has, and I have, and Jim has, and, and Josh and Dave have. And, and Dave and I may take the first fork of the road uh, and go the same way. The second fork, the third, the fourth, the fifth. The, the Republican Party is a fundamental realignment. I think it's a generational realignment. Voters in the Republican Party have, for whatever reason, I mean, there's a myriad and multitude of reasons, but Republican primary voters have decided, fairly or unfairly, correctly or incorrectly, that they're, that they're not as interested in this globalist agenda that they don't believe has provided a better way, get a better life, and a better future uh, for them. So, so they're, they're, they're basically making a decision. And, and, I, and Drew McKissick and I talked a little bit about this a couple of weeks ago. When, when a donor class and their interests are at odds with the voting base, but there's some synergies there, that there's some um, relation, that there's, there's some commonality. Um, you know, the, um, and I'm talking about the, the donor class being, I mean, largely the military-industrial complex. You, you can, you can kind of keep the train on the tracks, but when the relationship becomes completely and totally asymmetrical, I mean, it just becomes a big, giant mess. I mean, if it were satellite radio, I'd say something else. But it becomes a big, giant, you know what? And that's where we are. The, the donor class have gotten unbelievably wealthy on operating under a certain parameter. And, and I think it's globalism. I think it's interventionism. I do think the driver is the military-industrial complex. We had a debate yesterday, and, and I've had a little bit of a debate this morning. Um, I mean, we've decided that to fund the American empire, we need six and a half trillion dollars. What, what happens when we stop being an empire and start being a republic? Because a republic empowers the people, and the people have this representation that, that they vote for, and they're to vote for the interest of the people. Well, well the, the Trump voter, the majority of Republicans, for whatever reason, I mean, once again, valid, invalid, correctly, incorrectly, uh, you know, I would imagine people got to the dance a lot of different ways. But here we are. That There's a moment in American history every now and then when we have these generational realignments. The Republican base historically bought in to neoconservatism. We believed that we had an obligation, a responsibility. It was in our best interest to be the police of the world, the, 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 the guardians of democracy. Uh, we, we are to advance liberties and freedoms and and the name of making the world a better place, humanitarian aid and and military aid. Um, I mean, we, we've got we've got we've got bases, fixed assets, in about seventy countries in the world. We have special forces operating in about one hundred thirty eight countries in the world. We're the biggest arms dealer in the world. I mean, if you wondered, hey, is that Ukrainian oligarch or the Russian oligarch? Which one of those are the biggest arms dealer in the world? No, nah, I mean the American government is far and away the biggest arms dealer in the world. And I'm not saying it's all illegitimate. I think there's a very um, honest debate to be had about what America's role should be. But, but the voters have, have gotten to a place that is totally asymmetrical 
of what the power brokers desire. And there's a revolt. There, there's a revolution. I mean, you know, Trump symbolizes that. He embodies that. He's a manifestation of that. And here we are. So when Donald Trump says, you know, I'd never, I never asked to be president of the world. I mean, the, the, you know, the ears perk up of the military and does, what do you mean? I mean, do you not know what is required of America? I mean, this empire we built has certain responsibilities and, and obligations. I went back and read because the first person to talk about the military industrial complex was General and President Eisenhower. And he said, and I quote, the cost of one modern heavy bomber could pay for 30 schools, two power plants, two hospitals, 50 miles of highway, or half a million bushels of wheat. But the arms industry had become a fixture of the American economy. I mean, that was in his farewell address. So the American people have said, I'm tired of building uh, modern heavy bombers. I want to build some schools. I want to build some power plants. I want to build some, some hospitals. I want to build some, uh, I, you know, I, I want to I preserve our way of life. The bumper sticker, as I've said, um, I want to empower the American worker, empower the American family, empower uh, the American way of life. And that is asymmetrical to the military-industrial complex. And here we are. I mean, we're, we're in a conundrum. And, and a lot of loyalists in the Republican Party, like Bill Kristol and the Lincoln Project and what I call the corrupt consulting class of the good old, uh, the grand old party, I mean, they're on the take. They've been on the take. They don't believe in anything. I mean, they, they've gotten unbelievably wealthy and well-fed by advancing or advocating for the military-industrial complex. And, and all of a sudden, the voter wakes up one day and says, that's not in my best interest. I'm going to feed that beast to allow the advancement of that empire. And, and it's hard for a lot of Americans to admit that we built an empire and we've kind of sort of behaved like one. I mean, we've told the world where to stand since 19, what, 49? I mean, that would have been the, the, the concept of NATO, this, this, um, this transnational global safety and security organization that Rev called yesterday has been somewhat of an effective deterrent. I mean, it probably has been to some degree. But, but I think now Americans, not, not the majority of Americans, but a large plurality of Americans are not buying into that bill of goods they've been sold for about a generation and a half. And it's going to be complicated. But, but once again, this relationship can work if it's not completely asymmetrical. And I don't know if the Iraq war is what happened. I don't have any idea if NAFTA was the straw that broke the camel's back, GAT, TP. I don't have any idea, but maybe it was gradual. I mean, what what did, um, uh, who was it that said? It might have been Ernest Hemingway. I'm getting my famous people wrong here. Anyway, somebody said, you know, it happens gradually and then suddenly. I mean, I think it was happening gradually. I think we saw bits and pieces of voter disgruntlement, um, you know, vote, voter apathy. And, and for whatever reason, a billionaire, Real estate developer from New York touched a nerve and harnessed all that energy. And that energy has been, um, it's a little bit like, have you ever seen a fire department go to a fire and try to out and, and the, the hose gets away and it's just like sure. the craziest thing you could imagine? I mean, it beats cars up and trucks up and they have to, you know, turn the water off and get it back under control. That's kind of America first right now. I mean, it, it's not an organized source of energy. But it's unbelievably powerful. And I think it's operating. And I think the benefit America First has is it's genuinely barking up the right tree. I mean, it's not about some, some, some abstract political theory. But, but I do believe 
that the cathedral, I'm going to read Curtis Yarmouth, the cathedral is, is, is very similar to, the cathedral would be the personnel within the empire. And people feed at the trough of an empire, the military-industrial complex in particular. And, you know, when, when Trump comes along, and once again, Trump has said a handful of things that I cringe. He says a handful of things that I kind of chuckle. He says a handful of things that I think kind of kind of help him along the road to uh, political rehabilitation. He says some things, and I'm like, wow, dude, why'd you? I mean, that, that certainly doesn't help you when you say that. But, but I think when he said, I'm not running to be president of the world, everybody inside the belly of the beast took note. And he had to be dealt with differently. I mean, Trump is a, we said it this morning, Trump was a, or is a, a right-of-center, business-minded deregulator, right? I mean, that would be his governing philosophy. If Trump rides off in the sunset today as somewhat of a tragic hero in one of the old Western movies, the majority of us will say, you know, the legacy of Donald Trump is obviously, uh, you know, the, the only American president ever been indicted, not once, not twice, but three times. And the fourth is probably is probably coming his way. And I think we're underestimating the zeal that the the uh, the cathedralist who wish to preserve the empire, I think we're a little bit naive to believe what extreme measures they won't take. I mean, they, they would put his ass in prison in a minute. I can assure you of that. I mean, they would, that, that there's nothing they would take any more joy in than watching this guy who reigned on their parade be held accountable for the disruption and chaos he's caused when, when they kind of had the trains running on time. And everybody was getting fat. Everybody's getting well paid. Uh, you know, so people have asked me a lot, Reb. So when was Trump inevitable? At what moment in American history? Because we talked about, you know, um, the Iraq War. We talked about uh, weapons of mass. I mean, there have been a lot of moments in time that I look back and say, wow, you, you got that wrong. And you really need to pay a price for that. I believe that Donald Trump or someone like Trump was inevitable the day the government bailed the big banks out. I'm not saying they should or should not have. But, but the day the government socialized our financial sector and said, look, you guys have made a lot of mistakes in the name of greed and profit and capitalism, but we can't let the entire economy fail because of the mistakes you made and the government you know, um, TARP, the Troubled Asset Relief Plan and some of the buyouts and, and bailouts that came as a result of that. And, and the next thing you know, uh, the CEOs at Goldman, the CEOs at J.P. Morgan, the CEOs at some of these financial firms that control so much of our of our interest, I mean, they're landing helicopters at the Hamptons. I mean, they, you know, they, they had a big hand in blowing the world up. But the next thing you know, their trains are back on the track. Their, their buses are running back on time. And the American people are struggling with, with, with a lot of things, I mean, the, the permanent expansion of money supply and inflation and the cost of living. But, 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 but I just think when we look at a 45-page indictment and we talk about, you know, legal theories and contesting elections, I just think we need to back up a half step and look at this fork in the road. And I think when Trump chose to not obligate himself to the people that have built an empire, he had to be dealt with fundamentally different. And that's what they've done. And they're not going to apologize for it. They're not going to relent. They're going to do everything in their power to force this movement back in its place. I mean, when Trump says, it's not me, they're after, it's you. I mean, there's, there's some hyperbole in there, of course. 
How many politicians and hyperbole? It's the only way you get elected to provoke and, and hyperbolize. But, but, but there's some truth in there. And, you know, the, the Hayseeds, Hillbillies, Cowboys, and, and NASCAR fans, I mean, they know their place. And their place is to vote for the candidate that the donor class is acceptable. And for whatever reason, in 2016, Republican primary voters said, hell no, I'm voting for this guy. Why? Not sure. But he's not like the rest of them. Is that a good reason to vote for a president? Probably not. But I think Republican primary voters felt they had no other choice, and they voted for someone uniquely different that has made a, you know, a, a fundamental difference in the last, what, what are we, seven years now? Maybe eight years? How many announces in 2015? Is 2023. I have no idea where we go from here. I don't think anybody understands where we go from here. But I think the indictment yesterday is, is I mean, it was inevitable. But because once again, when Trump said, I'm not running to be president of the world, that, that was taking a fort in the road opposite of, you know, I support the empire. I'm on board with the cathedral. I don't mind you guys getting fat as long as I get fat. See, Trump got there. was already fat. I mean, he already had plenty of money. I mean, I don't know how much he's got. Probably not as much as he says, but, but he's got a private jet. He lives a luxurious lifestyle, and he doesn't really need Washington for much of anything. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's a complicated situation we find ourselves in. But I would strongly encourage um, those who are committed to seeing this for the duration, and I'm talking about America first becoming the prominent and predominant economic and social and cultural theory of the way the GOP operates. I mean, I just think you got to stick in. You, you got to dig in. I mean, it, it's it's a baby of a movement. It may fail miserably, but it does have a chance to rival um, the neoconservative movement, the interventionist movement, the globalist movement that I think is so disenfranchised the average American worker, family, voter, and way of life. I want to thank our sponsors. Carolina Bank serves communities throughout northeastern South Carolina, offering a wide range of services to meet every personal or business need, from straightforward accounts to complex finances. They're prepared to help you reach your financial goals. Carolina Bank, banking on tradition since 1936. Member FDIC. Pepsi of Florence represent the entire product line of PepsiCo, one of the world's leading Food and beverage companies, Pepsi of Florence, also serve brands from other great companies such as Dr. Pepper, Canada Dry, Lipton Tea, Gatorade, and various regional brands. Mickey Finn's, largest South Carolina liquor wholesaler, serving every county in the state, largest bourbon selection statewide. They ship wines to 43 states, opening soon a new beverage warehouse across from Bucky's on I-95 in Florence. They support USC athletics, including Williams, Bryce, and Colonial Life Arena. Marlboro PD Electric Co-op. If you're in big business and looking for an industrial park in the south to build your new plant, consider Marlboro PD Electric Co-op's new PD Commerce Center. Uh, an industrial park located at the I-95 exit in Florence, South Carolina. Check it out at mpdccoop or pdec.com. <laughs> 